Welcome to the Doing Cool Things podcast, a career podcast brought to you by the Knowlton Center for Career Exploration. I'm your host, David Snyder. Thank you for joining today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Doing Cool Things podcast. I'm your host, David Snyder. I am joined today by a 2014 grad, Denison, with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. He's uh, had a career and an expertise in consumer insights, cultural intelligence, uh, trend forecasting, and innovation. And I'm sure we're going to get into all those subjects. Uh, very excited to, to, to learn about those. Uh, and is currently the director of Wilder Winter Consulting, uh, all the way from Denver, Colorado. My guest today, Olivia McLean Hess. Olivia, how are you today? Well, thank you, David. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to happy to have you on. So uh, the the general first question here, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, a million different things yeah. and uh, and probably had none of the right skill sets to do them. Um, <laughs> I, I think my first love was to be a marine biologist when I was really young. Um, I maybe it was all those sort of uh, commercials at Walt Disney of kids with like dolphins or things like that. But I was really excited about working with animals. Um, and once I got into school, realized that I was not as in love with science and biology as I was with the animals. Um, so I started to pivot into thinking I wanted to do something more creative. Um, so around high school, it was more of a dream of being something like a writer or, you know, some kind of novelist. Do you do any, any writing now? Yeah, I do a little bit of creative writing. Um, at Denison, I did a lot of creative writing classes. So I kind of pulled together a portfolio of poems and stories and things like that. And I still find that a really nice outlet. That, that's awesome. So it's it's great to be able to kind of continue those passions and see how those, you know, continue to exist uh, l- later on. So, uh, but I, I would love to talk a little bit about your, you know, what you're doing now, your career path. Um Olivia, could you just, you know, put it into your own words, what it is you're doing now, uh, and just a brief story on how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right now, as as you mentioned, I'm a director at Wilder Winter Consulting. Um, it's a communications firm actually started by my family, uh, who are all communications people with experience in crisis communications and public relations. Uh, and it's not what I originally thought I would be doing, <laughs> Um, but I, I started out, uh, thinking that I might go into psychology. I was a a psychology major at Denison and, um, I got to that point in my senior year where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with this. Um, I loved all the psych classes I had taken. I also wasn't sure that I wanted to commit to more graduate schooling to follow that career path. Uh, so I was thinking about what are the other ways I can repurpose, this? What are other ways I can use psychology in the world to do creative things? And um, at the time, I was watching a lot of Mad Men episodes. Those were those were pretty, pretty fun. And I thought that Don Draper's work looked like a good time. So I thought maybe I could understand human behavior through advertising. And from there, I took uh, an internship in not exactly advertising, but um, at a trends agency called Sparks and Honey. And it sounded like it would use a lot of the psychology things that I had learned in the sense that it was dedicated to studying human behavior and changes in human behavior and how that might apply to things that businesses could do. And so um, got an internship there and um, actually started in client services 
Um, I thought if I was working with clients, that would be kind of the most human behavior yeah, <laughs> aspect right. yet. Maybe I, I could read clients or or help be a therapist to their business problems. I'm not really sure what I was thinking, but I decided to start there in, in the client services field um, and did that for a six month internship um, followed by a year as an account coordinator and uh, realized, I would say about halfway through that it wasn't really where my passion was. If I wanted to study human behavior, I was most excited about what the people uh, to the left and right of me were doing in the strategy department. Um, and one, they had the coolest names. They were cultural strategists. And I was like, I didn't even know you could be called that. Right. That's a sweet title. That's <laughs> a really cool title. And I would look at their business cards and I was kind of like, you hand this out to people and they take, they take it and you, you, you culturally strategize for them. Um, <laughs> it was really, really fun. So uh, I, I was excited by the work that they were doing because they were the ones who were actually trying to answer all of these futuristic questions about like, what will consumers want from natural products in five years? Or what are the new consumer expectations for foods and snacks and beverages and all these really exciting questions for big clients? And so um I, I kind of got absorbed into their world and ended up sort of acting as a hybrid strategist and client services person, um, just like leaning in and making suggestions or having ideas. And then eventually I, I fully, uh, you know, told my, my managers that I wanted to commit and, uh, you know, put a ring on it and make the transition to being a full-time cultural strategist. And luckily they were very supportive and um, kind of said that they sort of saw it com coming for a while and made the transition for me. So I did that. Um, I worked as a cultural strategist and was promoted up to a director of cultural strategy over several years, um, spending, you know, almost seven years total at the firm and um, answering all sorts of weird, exciting, fun questions for different client verticals from food and beverage to tech, to beauty, to healthcare, to finance, um, you know, all these different types of, of clients that, um, that it was just such a pleasure. Um, but then after that, you know, COVID happened somewhere in that mix. And I kind of realized I hadn't tried anything else. And I think there's that interesting moment when you realize that you found yourself in a niche but you didn't really remember getting there. Like you just mm -hmm. made silly decisions and found yourself there and then years pass. And and I, some people love that, but I was feeling like I have to know what else is also possible. And I have to know if there are other things I could be passionate about. So I um, took a job in branding at uh, a place called Monogle in, in Denver, um, which is a brand experience agency, which kind of helps different companies realize their brand expression through mission, vision, values, and, and a bunch of other things, um, visual design, uh, and so forth. And I did that for about a year. Um, in the end, decided it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but the great beauty of that was it was the great resignation movement time. Everybody was going freelance, and it was a really, you know, the water was warm to kind of decide you wanted to do something else. So from there, I went freelance and then started working in comms and um, trying out the family business. And that's where I am today.
that's awesome. There's so many, um, you know, cool things that I think we can 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 uh, check out there. But going like straight from the beginning of that career story, so not not something that we hear a lot of as far as like the post grad internship. Can you can you talk a little bit about like why you chose to do a post grad internship and like would you recommend that as a pathway for um, you know folks about to graduate maybe? Yeah, um, I would say definitely would recommend it. I would warn every senior about the temptation to not do one. Yeah. Uh, because I think that there's there's such a temptation to to think that it's like a step backward. Like you're not getting a, a real job. You know, you're not you don't have something entry level. It's some of these are are unpaid, um, which you know I think isn't a great practice. But some internships in the world are unpaid, and um, I think there's more work being done to to make that less the case. But I know the temptation to say it's not a full-time salary. I'm just going to focus on things that enable me to do that. But I think the thing that internships are is that opportunity to test and learn what you like, do it for a small, short, finite period of time. And then you can kind of like hop to the next one. If you're still in that grace period of quote unquote recent grad, you can then hop to the, to the next lagoon over in a different department in a different you know company and you're still given that grace of being new to the professional world <laughs> so i think of it as as the best time to sample things um before you kind of get committed to something where you're getting paid but now you're kind of like i don't know that this is really what i wanted now i have to quit a full-time job if i don't like right. it that's a lot of pressure i think post-grad i 100 percent agree it's something that i like i, I mean i just think it you're you're right. Like as far as like there feels like a stigma almost attached to it. Like it's not a full time thing, but it gives you such great benefits. I um, talked to a previous guest on the podcast that did the same thing. Took an internship right out of college, and it was like I got to learn and like still have that. As you talked about that professional grace that that goes along with that, and I still got to work hard, still got to build my resume, but like it wasn't something that felt like it had to be forever and so it sounds you know like two for two on this podcast anyway as far as people recommending that so I, I, I love that but um <clears throat> excuse me getting into that you know jump from intern then into the professional world what were some of the biggest surprises biggest transition moments for you is there anything that that stands out like oh I wish I would have known that or I wish Denison could have prepared me for that Any anything that stands out I mean, I think there are some things that you can really only learn on the job. Yeah. And I know that's not the most comforting answer. Um, but I think that the most important thing that Denison gave me was the ability to think critically, mm -hmm. um, to trust my own capability because I had overcome a lot of other tasks that seemed, you know, maybe challenging or even insurmountable at the time or uh, you know, all sorts of different challenges. So it gives you the confidence in yourself. It gives you the ability to think critically about different types of problems and, um, and different types, applying that to different types of subjects and fields. So you get this really kind of layered approach to how you learn and how you critically problem solve. But um, when you get to the professional world, you're going to learn on that job what, what they're prioritizing. And it's never through the lens of like a linear curriculum. Um, so I think it's a little bit about the best thing to prepare is to prepare for it to be nonlinear, to prepare for it to be, uh, 
a little less structured than the previous learning that you know, because in the working world, you're thrown all different types of challenges and your day can look different every single day. I used to meet with people um, when I was, uh, you know, just sort of a full-time meeting with interns and trying to describe what it was like to work full-time in my first role. And I just said, you know, it's, every day is different. They said, what do you do all day? I was like, I, I, I could tell you what this week looked like. Um, I can't tell you what next week's going to look like. <laughs> so I think the best way to prepare is just to prepare to be unprepared and trust yourself enough to know that you have the critical thinking skills to learn while doing. Yeah. Yeah. Just be comfortable in that uncomfortable and, you know, you'll be, you'll be okay. That's uh messy middle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's no, there's no growth if you don't get outside your comfort zone. So that's entirely true. So getting into that cultural strategy portion. So like, and I, and I say this through the lens of like, I'm a first generation college student that grew up in small town, Ohio, like cultural strategist. If you told me that was a job, like I would have been like, that sounds fake. Right. <laughs> but, it, but it's not right. Like, and so, uh, you know, at eight, 18 to 22, I'd have been like, I don't know what that combination of words means, but like, um, now though, I mean, the, the impact of that is, it obviously three old, there's a lot of, a lot of really cool things that you got to do, but like, can you tell me a little bit, like, what does that mean to be a cultural strategy? What type of tools are you using? How are you doing that forecasting? What, um, what surprised you really about, about that work? Yeah. Um, you know, I, going back to what you said, I had a lot of family members at Thanksgiving who kind of were like, is this a real job? Did, is Olivia somewhere? Did someone take her? I, this sounds fake. Um, so I, <laughs> I still get that with my current job. Like people are like, what do you do again? Did you teach? And I'm like, I mean, kind of, <laughs> no. Yeah, the skepticism is real. Um, but I would say that I would describe it as you're basically helping future-proof businesses for all the changes that we're seeing. Um, an information cycle that has become faster with social media and internet use and prolific smartphone use is basically making it so that changes happen more quickly. People become aware of changes more quickly. Um, and it's put a lot of pressure on brands and organizations to think about how they show up in the world differently, to be on the cutting edge of what's new and what's shifting in terms of consumer values and belief systems. Uh, so the cycle of which they innovate and market products is is kind of compressed um, every organization has to become more more agile in response to all of this. Um, so cultural strategy is the field of being able to ascertain those shifts that are happening both over you know longer stretches of time and also virally and sort of micro trends and in the moment shifts that are happening. Um, so something that we would do at my job uh, at Sparks and Honey is we would have a daily culture briefing, and they they still still do this by the way. So if you look up Sparks and Honey's daily culture briefing, you'll get a sense of what these are like. But you sit around uh, with a bunch of other people, cultural strategists, experts in different fields um, and and different clients sometimes, and you discuss everything that has been trending, percolating in culture over the past 24 to 48 hours. And sometimes these are themed culture briefings where you dive into a specific topic, like how what is the future of healthcare? Or like, how is AI changing the future of creativity or all these sorts of questions? And you sit around and you unpack different articles and signals that have come up 
the most recent news that indicate what shifts are going to occur. From there and doing that every single day, you're able to kind of map patterns in societal shifts um, and in societal beliefs and in new needs that people have. So is there an opportunity to innovate for a new need that's emerging in the market based on what we're seeing uh, during these briefings? And so it's it's a really fun, creative um, ideation session where you get to talk about humanity and business at the same time. Um, so cultural strategy is a lot about doing that. It's about unpacking patterns and being able to map shifts in culture and then finding the relevance to businesses, um, whether that be for innovation, marketing, or uh, new ways to reach consumers. Did you find that that psychology background really helped in, in that role? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. I think one of the, the big lessons that I would go back and say to my, my Denisonian uh, self around her junior year is like, do not stress that this has to be linear and that you have to go straight from your major to its most intuitive, you know, natural progression. Um, because if that were the case, then I, I might be a psychologist right now, which is great. And I could still do that. Um, but it's that that's not the only option. It's that you, there's so many different ways to apply what you, what you learn. And actually at Sparks and Honey, we used to like to hire people who had completely different <clears throat> majors from, uh, you know, they, they weren't all economy, you know, economic majors, or they weren't all uh, anthropology majors or psychology majors. We had art history majors. We had political science majors because you wanted as much diversity in that field to be able to unpack things from different standpoints. And so actually the diversity of what you studied can apply really well to other fields because people are looking for that edge and that alternative viewpoint. So I would go back and say, don't put so much pressure uh, on yourself to, to know exactly what you want to do be, just because you've majored in one area. Yeah. No, and it, I mean, I don't mean to oversimplify things, but it's like, you almost, it's almost sounds like you're psychologist for businesses, you know? <laughs> and it's like, where are you, where are you going and why? Like, and tell me about <laughs> Who that. Who are you? Right. Really? <laughs> Who do you want to be? Like it's exactly. So, um, that's fascinating. Um, and then, yeah. So like, obviously I'm guessing you didn't predict COVID and all of that that happened with the economy, <laughs> right? But like, uh, what so what what does a, a cultural strategist do when something like that happens? Like what what is that meeting when the world just shuts down? Yeah, I mean, I think that the best futurists and cultural strategists will tell you, you know, we don't read tea leaves. Mm -hmm. We we are not looking at the moons and the stars and kind right, there's of no tarot cards here. <laughs> yeah, making charts and you know, sending our clients a horoscope by the hour. Uh, so we've always said to clients, we can tell you based on the current trajectory of what we're seeing, mm -hmm. and we use lots of data to be able to do this work. We pull from consumer data and social listening data, um, patent filings, uh, funding going to different types of companies and categories. I mean, we pull from tons of data and we pull that all together and say, this is where we see things going based on a triangulation of all different types of, yep. of data. Um, but we always say to them, we don't read the tea leaves. If someone becomes president that we weren't expecting to come, it wasn't predicted to become president. Uh, you know, if there is a, 
a huge meteor that hits the earth and shakes half the people off this planet. We don't have that planned. You know, there we're working with the information that we have available. Um, so this is understanding that across the steep area of shifts that we, we could see something that is affected by a policy or legislation or things like that, that, that drastically impact that, that being said, sometimes we create scenarios. If we think something could change the course of future, you know, in, in ways that can be predicted, you know, if it's, if we're close to the time of an election, we might say, if this happens, this might be happening. Or if this happens this this way, this might happen. Um, but it definitely is, it's a science, but it's an imperfect science um, because you can only work with what you have available. So things like COVID, uh, we predicted it wasn't good when they cut funding into pande pandemic study and research. That's That's not good. But then when COVID happened, we weren't like, oh yeah, that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Only a few indicators, but definitely not the full, uh, the full knowledge. Right. But I can, you know, obviously can definitely see like, to your point about like business wanting to hire so many people from different backgrounds, like whether it's an election or whether it's something, you know, outside of that, like having that person with the, you know, the political knowledge or having somebody that can think through it in that lens, like huge, super interesting to, to hear how that, that all comes together um, and, and can be, can be used there. Uh, but, you know, there at Sparks and Honey, you, you know, you you rose up to director of cultural strategy. And so what was the difference in your like day to day, your week to week, uh, you know, between being director and, you know, some of your previous steps? I think that there was a, a big leap in responsibility and just in terms of the number of clients that I was managing. Um, when mm -hmm. I was earlier on in the career path, I would have a couple of clients um, and the responsibilities would be lighter for those so that I had a chance to learn how to do the job and to, to shadow people. Um, as I started to progress and get promoted, it, there was a, one less of a tried and true way of doing things. I was now put on projects where we had to kind of build the plane as we were flying it. And then there were like triple the number of those. Um, so it was definitely one of those things where it, it's a compliment when you get to that point of being promoted because it means we trust you enough to believe that you are going to choose the right risks to take, experiment in a way that we would support, um, try new things, build this with us. You're co-creating the offerings for the clients, sometimes in ways and with methodologies that have never been tried before. And you're being given that that credit and that um, that faith. I think though it, it also is a big change in terms of you know your workload and your your lifestyle and all those sorts of things. And um it was it was funny because a lot of my friends during that time had still moved from like different career path to different career path. So I was one of the fewer people at my age who had that much responsibility because they kind of stuck yeah. with something. Um, and that was an interesting feeling socially to kind of stick with something and then find like, oh, I have a lot more responsibility um, because I haven't hopped and stayed kind of junior from different industry to different industry. Um, but I also appreciate what it gave me, which was just, you know, the appetite to keep working hard, to keep pursuing things um, and to keep, you know, to keep disciplined because it can really get you far. 
then a moment comes and and I'm reminded I'm going to sound much smarter than I than I am <laughs> because I just came across the quote recently but I'm going to be like it reminds me of the quote from C.S. Lewis that's like you know <laughs> read the um um you know it's like day to day nothing changes but then you look up and everything's different and like it sounds like that's kind of where you were with like I've been doing this and doing this and doing this and like I look up and like I'm suddenly in this niche and like yeah what what I mean COVID obviously and like the break that that presented but like what else kind of prompted that reflection and how did how did you work through that reflection you know process as it related to your own career exploration process yeah I mean I I think that something that prompts it is always what's going on socially around you um COVID brought about a time of reinvention for a lot of people and not just out of choice but I think out of necessity um, I was seeing people lose their jobs on LinkedIn due to, you know, COVID-related issues. Um, my husband was one of them. He used to work at a company that rented out housing to college students. And as you can wow, predict, yeah. COVID, that might have had a little less demand. Sure. Um, and so while I was seeing people have these job-related setbacks directly due to COVID, they were also finding themselves in different career paths and talking about that journey on LinkedIn. And um, there was a story of transformation happening there. And I think that that always, you know, what our peers are doing, even if they aren't people we speak with every day, um, those social influences always make you think about where you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it. And um, I thought, you know, I love this work. <laughs> That's not the issue. I just wanna know that it's not the only thing that I love. And I want to know everything else that I might love. And I want to start that as soon as possible. And so it really was about me kind of cutting myself loose from something to be able to see how I could transform again and kind of get out of my comfort zone even further. Um, and that led me to try branding and communications and all those things. So it's it's definitely been a journey. And I would think that those reflection moments kind of, they happen when you hear those stories mm -hmm. of other people trying something new and like their whole life not exploding and going up in flames, but them actually learning something really interesting about themselves or something that they're good at or something that they like. Um, so I think that did it. Yeah. What, so like within your, your new experiences, what are you finding that you're enjoying about that? Um, maybe that was both expected and on the other hand what something that was like oh I didn't really expect to like that as much as I did well uh, it's funny because lifestyle is a huge part of career yeah and that's something that uh you can't prepare for in college because you don't yet know what type of lifestyle you want you might think you know what type of lifestyle you want but most of the observations that you make on that at the time or at least in my case were like I've seen someone on TV with this job or I've seen a movie where someone was this and they seemed either A, unhappy, B, happy, all of those sorts of, you know, things. And you kind of amalgamate all these different, you know, memories and snapshots and pull together what you think these lives look like. And then you go out into the world and you try to figure out which one you fit into. And I think what I realized is that I had, um, a job that was really fulfilling and it was also, you know, high pressure at times. And when I left to go be freelance, 
I realized that I could still do a lot of what I loved and actually be able to pick and choose the ways in which I decided to grow and develop. Um, so I'm able to take on futurism and trends projects still um, and do it for clients that I really, really care about or really like and admire. Um, and I'm still able to do this job as a director of comms uh, at Wilder Winter where I can kind of pick and choose the clients that I'm involved in because I'm, I have a freelance engagement there as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm not kind of full-time chained to a desk, so to speak, um, which nothing wrong with that at all. But I think that there's something freeing about being able to manage your own agency and your own time and your own passions that way. Um, so I would say that was the thing that kind of surprised me the most about making these transitions. Um, and I always think life has different kind of different phases. Like there might be phases of your life where you're really excited to have that full-time position and to be in an office and do those things. And sometimes there are phases of your life where for a multitude of reasons, it doesn't feel like the right thing to do. But I think knowing that there are so many different options and ways to cultivate the lifestyle that you want um, through career is, is I think the key because then you kind of become an agent of your own success instead of kind of trying to fit yourself into what you think the system is or what it should be. That's, that's so awesome. I just really appreciate that answer from that, that lifestyle answer. Like it's so good. Um, <laughs> it's something that we've been trying to incorporate a little bit more in some of our, our career stuff here at Denison, because it, I mean, to your point, right? Like you, you can't really know until you go do it. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, I thought I was going to love my first job in sports. And it turns out doing what I loved as a job made it work. And, I, you know, and that was like, then it was, then I was burnt out because I didn't have that escape. And, but things you can't know until you go do. And, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that because it's like phases are different. What you, what your priorities are at 22 versus 25 versus 30, so on and so forth. Like they're all, they're all different. And to be able to find that, um, you know, I, I, you know, I hope whoever is listening to that, that, that needs that answer too gets to hear it because it's such a good, uh, important and hugely underrated part of the career exploration process. Cause it's also so always focused on title and role and job, but like, yeah, like you gotta go like do other things around that too. Um, I think there's like a culture that kind of tells us that we have to make what we love our job. I don't know how yeah, this happens. I don't know. <laughs> I am. Um, I think of something like that, actually, during college, I was really into makeup artistry and I had been for years, like mm -hmm. as a girl, um, I read all the books by Bobby Brown, Laura Mercier, Trish McAvoy, Kevin Acoin. I was just the, the go-to person in my friend group for like, I got, I got this contour stick. I don't really know what to do. Did I get it in the right shape? Like, I, I felt like I was, I loved that world. And I imagined the possibility of doing it for movies. I was like, that to me would yeah. be the coolest, the things I would see, the people I would meet, the places I would go. I was like, imagine the Dr. Seuss book, right. <laughs> me like makeup brush in hand on the cover. And then I read more about the lifestyle and it was like, you will travel all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, duh, Olivia, of course, you know, if you're going for movies, you're going to travel. Why didn't I think of that? But not a little, like all the time. Uh, prepare for the fact that it's difficult to have a family while you're managing this or relationships 
and that, you know, you're, you're usually on your feet all day long and set shoots can last anywhere from 14 to 18 hours and blah, blah, blah. And I, I kept reading more about it. And I was like, I really love doing this, but maybe I keep doing my friend's weddings yeah. and having fun like that. And I scale this to like my way to continue loving this thing. Um, I think sometimes we we like scale it all the way to the maximum, which is making it your career where you spend most of your time, most of the hours of your week, instead of like scaling it to the amount where we can say, how much can I scale this and still love it yeah. and not feel like I've exploited this passion or this talent beyond my means. Yeah, it's okay just to have hobbies because you like them and they say hobbies or they won't go away. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> that's absolutely. Um yeah, it's it, it's tremendous, tremendous advice there. Um, you know, for for our students that are listening. Um you go from working with agencies and ultimately like a little bit of like the client loads dictated to you, and maybe maybe all of the client load is dictated to you to in that freelance where you're able to pick and choose a little bit. So um, what, what do you look for in a client? What's a good client? Oh my goodness. Um, I love this question because my, my dad used to say, uh, you know, I, I would see, you'd say I've had such a long day. Um, you know, when you come home and like put down a satchel from work and I'd be like, well, well, what is it? And he was like, well, this business would be perfect if it weren't for the clients. But this joke of like the clients keep the <laughs> lights on in a business, um, yeah. consulting or, or communications or advertising, really any, any of those types of businesses. Um, but of course, the clients are the hardest part because you really need to be able to, it's like the customer is always right. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to find a way to give them what they want and what they need. To, to build that business. And so I would say the most challenging clients, I think, are the ones who um, want to use your company for something that it doesn't do. Sure. Um, but there's some other reason why they want to use it. Either they know mm -hmm. someone there mm -hmm. or, you know, they uh, want to be able to say that they used a type of firm or they want to kind of indicate on a big spreadsheet for the finance people. Well, we definitely fit it in this box. So we use this type of firm. But I think um, the best clients uh, by by kind of the converse angle of that it, are the ones who understand that, uh, you know, what exactly one firm does and what they do well. And they think about the way to pull out the best potential from what that place offers them. Um, and I think that's where you extract the most value. It might not answer every single question that they have, but if it answers some really important ones, the best that they can be answered, I think that that's the most important thing. So I, I would say that the good clients know their firm that they've picked and what they do best and how to best harness their potential. Uh, the other side of that is that the firm also has to really tell the story, the authentic story of who they are um, in winning those clients. So it's, it's a two-way street, 100%. And sometimes client engagements don't go, get to the right start because both people have kind of failed in communicating with each other, um, which I would say is probably the biggest thing in business is effective communication. No matter what you do, the effective communication determines how every engagement goes. 
Um, so I think that that's something that I, I definitely took away early on in that work. And not just because I'm in a communications career now, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously, I don't know what you what you can or, or can't disclose as far as like current projects and things like that that are going on. But like, what are what are some of the most rewarding things that you're doing now? Or, you know, what are some of the most, um, uh, you know, some of the biggest challenges that you face in your own work? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a little earlier about um, how you're kind of a therapist for clients. Um, that's very true. That sort of like soul searching work for clients is very true in the communication space specifically, because when you're doing comm strategy, the whole essence of it is kind of who do you feel you are today and who do you want to be tomorrow? And then somewhere in the midst of that is like, how do you think people see you today and how do you want people to see you tomorrow. And so you're really shaping public opinion, you're shaping perception. Um, and so I would say that those are things that I've taken away as, as kind of important um, elements of the work. Um, that work gets me excited. It makes me feel like I'm tapping into the psychology yeah. kind of learning and education that I've done thus far because people um, sometimes think that they know who they are and then you get like five of those people who work at the same company in the same room. And they're like, well, I think we're really about this. And someone says, oh, no, what, what, what would you say? I think we're more, we're more over here. And you get them to talk to each other and reconcile an identity in the room with you. And in that way, that's, that's coming up with a new identity for that company, a new, a new narrative for them. What are the messages that are going to serve as kind of the support beams of that identity? Um, that we're going to continue to communicate out into the world through all the mechanisms that we have. And that is, you know, company soul searching type work. Um, it's also strategic and how you evolve and shape that perception of that company and how, how they want it to be realized in the next months, years, et cetera. Um, and so I, I think that that's been really, really fun. And in terms of types of clients, I didn't plan this, but over the past uh, year since going freelance, I've had a lot of uh, social impact type clients. And I think that speaks to um, the rise of social impact as a territory of focus for um, careers, as well as for education. Um, there are a lot of new business, uh, you know, there are a lot of new courses in business schools uh, that focus on social impact and development. And I think I'm kind of seeing it on my workload plate because I keep getting clients who are interested in advancing social impact missions. And that work is also really exciting because you're, you feel like you're part of making the world better um, and, and not kind of a part of the side of business. That's like, we're going to put wrapping paper on this and it's going to be new and we're going to ship it back out. Um, it's nice to feel like you're part of working for companies that are actively trying to make the world better than um, how they found it. Yeah, that's it's been interesting just to see how brands have changed over the years, like just in our lifetimes. Um with that causes meaning something. And like I'm not gonna pretend that everyone is good for the sake of good in the world, but like because the consumers in a lot of ways demand that out of companies and organizations now to see that that happening. Uh fa just fascinating. I mean, love that yeah. it's happening. Not to be creepy, but um, from having done consumer and social listening uh, for companies, just keep tweeting those things. Uh, yeah. Keep them on your platforms. 
someone is listening. Yeah. We hear you and not in a creepy way, but it does actually affect the recommendations that are made to, to large companies. It does move the needle and in, in swinging those sorts of priorities forward. That's really cool. I mean, yeah. And just the, the, the access that people have to like make their voices heard through social media and things like that, like huge. That's... Yes. There's not one soapbox. There are several different soapboxes and there's the TikTok soapbox and the Instagram soapbox and the Twitter soapbox, despite it's kind of Elon uh, issues, it, it's still there. And, uh, you know, there, there are just so many different ways to amplify that I kind of feel like every consumer has a bigger megaphone and in that way we all have a bigger responsibility. Yeah. But it also means that when you work in business strategy, you have more to work with um, and, and more accountability to consumers as well. Excellent. When you look back on your Denison career, Olivia, is there a particular class, particular professor um, that stands out to you as been being particularly impactful to your journey? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I really loved all my classes talked um, by Dr. Uh, Graham Bois. He was my creative writing professor, just an all the full excellent person. Just, I mean, he invested in his students as people, not just as kind of uh, the product of his teaching. It wasn't just about the grades he got back uh, to students or or the papers that they delivered. I mean, I remember times where he would kind of see that I was having a hard time with something. And his response to a paper wouldn't be like, this isn't good. It'd be like, hey, did you have a harder time with this one? Why? Um, I think teachers who take that extra step yeah. are really one in a million. Um, and they also make you think less about just the results, but also the process. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate that. I also loved, um, my histories of systems teacher for psychology, who, uh, gosh, I forget his name at the moment, but he pushed us to no end. I mean, I think that this was one of the most challenging classes I took at Denison, but the most challenging ones also make you the most aware of what you actually are capable of. Um, and I love that. And lastly, I would say um, Dr. Erin Henshaw um, in the psychology department, I loved her abnormal psychology class. Um, I think that she is such a fantastic teacher, really invests in her students. And um, the course material, I think, was what really finalized my decision to be a psychology major. Um, so all of those great memories. Do you have any on-campus experiences that really helped um... Not that, again, not that every hobby or involvement has to be career related, but was there anything that like uh, you felt like, oh, that translated a lot better than I thought it would? Yeah, I mean, I would say I really appreciated um, my time on, on the Denison rugby team. Oh, cool. Um, it was, I mean, I joined my sophomore year. To be clear, I, I'm not someone who really knows a ton about rugby. I do not have a history of rugby behind me beyond that experience. Like I didn't do rugby in high school or in middle school or anything. Um, I, I joined that team like fresh from um, fresh from a breakup and and completely like torn up inside. Sure. And I was like, I hear you guys run at things, <laughs> and maybe this can be healing for me. And I don't know exactly how that speech worked for them, but they took me in on the team and um, you know like an orphan kitten or something and. 
I joined that team and felt completely embraced by the spirit of the team, um, the inclusivity and the, the welcome that I had. And no one really cared if I knew anything about rugby to begin with. And I think that that's one of the things about Denison that I like, um, you know, sometimes people talk about it's, it's not like a D1 school, you know, we don't, we don't have that in the athletics or, you know, it's not an MSU type five in terms of our, our, you know, our teams, but I have so much pride for the way that our teams truly embrace every teammate and are such a great place for people to try new things. Um, especially in terms of those intramural sports where you can, you can jump into anything and just feel confident that they're going to find a space for you. Um, that was really, really wonderful. Yeah. It says so much about, well, our, just our students here and the experiences. I mean, I, I would, I don't have any hesitation, you know, thinking that that's the same thing that happens day in and day out based on the stories that I hear from students all the time, that it's just like, I wanted to join this thing and they brought me in and they taught me and that's been fun and an adventure. And uh, <laughs> hey, if you get to run and hit some people too, why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. Rug They're probably like making it sound a little bit more, um, you know, empathetic than it was. I'm making it sound like I'm like Oliver Twist, like knocking at the orphanage door, but right. um, <laughs> I, I, I was running around and, and doing a lot of tackles. So you're right. It was, it was very hardcore, but um, in the very beginning when I wanted to join, it was uh, quite uh, humbling. Right. <laughs> showing up with the soup bowl in hand. You know. Yeah. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, um, so, so if you, if you could offer, you know, just career advice for the, you know, maybe it's the, the psych major that doesn't want the, traditional psych path or it's somebody that's thinking about working for an agency it, you know it doesn't matter what 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 advice do you have for folks that are on their way out i would say give yourself permission to change your mind mm, that's good. um i think sometimes we think that the world doesn't give us permission to change our mind because yeah. we think if we stick with something that's how you get ahead but truthfully, I think that the best thing that you can do to find what you really like to do or many things that you like to do is to change your mind often and in a healthy way and to try a lot of different types of things. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of the best people that I've worked with are people who didn't know that they wanted to do that until years later, but they brought all this other great stuff from working in other types of fields that I wouldn't have access to any of that any of those capabilities or any of those ways of thinking, if they hadn't like, you know, bumped their head on a couple of other rocks on their way over to me. <laughs> and so I would say like, give yourself permission to kind of fumble around in the dark and just lose yourself a little bit, as long as you're trying new things. And as long as you're putting yourself in new situations, you're taking different internships, you're putting yourself out in the workforce, getting it right the first time, that's not really that's not really important because um, the, you kind of figure out what you don't like before you figure out what you do like. And most often um, that makes you the most uh, capable at whatever you decide to do next. So I, I think that that's the advice I would give myself. And I think that's the advice that I would, I would give to anyone else. I, I love it. And it wraps up, I think perfectly just with like, you know, who, who at 1920 
prior to listening to this podcast would would say to themselves cultural strategy that's what i want to go to like to your like didn't even know until you saw that on you know you're working with those, <laughs> those people at your agency and it's like i want to do that um if you don't give yourself that permission to change your mind you don't open yourself up to the opportunities that you didn't even know existed so it's, uh, exactly yeah so olivia i i um you know, tremendously uh, appreciate the conversation. Uh, I had a blast, so I uh, can't wait to see the work that you continue to do. And um, it it sounds awesome. And I know that that's something that I, I know our students are going to benefit uh, hearing your story. So definitely appreciate the time today and um, the advice that you were able to offer. So I just want to say to all the listeners out there, if you know, you have any questions related to line of work feel free to come into our office and chat and you know whether it's just giving yourself that permission to change change your mind as well we're happy to have those conversations so uh olivia thank you again i uh, really appreciate it and listeners keep on doing cool things thank you david